Get all your pork items for your operation with Smithfield Culinary. Choose from Smithfield's smoke and fast products and add barbecue to your menu without adding a pitmaster to your payroll. Or browse our margarita offerings, encompassing everything from pepperoni and pizza toppings to a variety of authentic specialty Italian meats. Finally, serve what you love with Smithfield, including everything from bacon to deli meats and much more. For the products and solutions to keep running strong, visit smithfieldculinary.com. All right, guys, welcome to a new week. How you doing? Great. I feel pretty good. Um, it's actually like the end of my week. It is Thursday afternoon. I am going on vacation tomorrow. So I feel great, honestly. <laughs> Boy, if there was ever anybody who really used up all of their vacation, it is Leanne Zinsmeister. You I say that me, as a compliment. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say, you give me all this vacation time. I'm <laughs> going to use it. I would also say I'm like generally a pretty like happy employee. Yeah, I, that's, I pride like, myself on that. I like my job. And part of that is because I take a lot of vacations from it. And now people know why I'm so miserable. <laughs> yes, Sam, when was your last vacation? <laughs> hmm. Oh, no. It's not good that I can't think of one. <laughs> well, it's all right. I'll ask you a different question. When was the last time you traveled, Sam? Tell us about it. For pleasure or business? Uh, no. No, at all. we're thinking about last week, Sam. I'm trying I, to oh. cue you oh, up. Oh, you're segue me? Oh, okay. I was going to say, I mean, literally, guys, you, you know I flew totally home yesterday. <laughs> yeah, but our listeners don't know. Sam, where were you this week? What were you oh, doing? I'm so glad you asked me, Leanne. Thank you. Oh I was in Atlanta God. this week. Well, I don't know. You know, I was in Atlanta. I flew home yesterday. So I was like, yeah, I was gone yesterday. What are you talking about? Um, we were in Atlanta. We hosted our road show there on Monday. Rousing success. Thank you to everybody who came out and had a great time. Um, we are not done with road shows in 2023. We do still have one left. We have done five of six. We've got one left to go, and that's New York. But that is date TBD, probably in the fall. So if you're in New York, um, stay tuned. But uh, these things have been a really cool opportunity to connect with your uh, peer restaurant operators in your city and have some free food and drinks, have a good time, connect with our team. And that's what we did this week. So, and, and this is something for anybody else who is a takeaway subscriber. And if you're not, go subscribe to my podcast, Takeaway. Uh, but I was kicking it old school and did a couple podcast interviews in person, which it's just, you know, we did a few at the NRA show, of course, everybody knows, but, uh, but I used to do podcasts all the time in person because it's so much better and virtual world has spoiled me. So I'm getting back to it. More in-person podcasts. So much nicer to see somebody face to face and talk to them and like see their hand movements yeah. than it is to do it oh, over yeah. Zoom. It's a much better conversation. It's much more realistic and much more casual, easy to talk. So um, for the first of those, go check out this week's episode of Takeaway, which by the time you listen to this should be out. And that's with Lauren Fernandez, the CEO of Full Course, which is an investment firm. Um, she's awesome. She was on our panel at the Roadshow. Uh, and then we connected the next day for an in-person conversation for the podcast. Um, and then I've got a couple more very exciting in-person conversations coming up in the next couple of weeks. Look at that teaser. Good job. I'm learning. What can I say? Four years in podcasting. And if I finally figured out how to tease my content. <laughs> well done. Thank you. All right. Well, let's get into the news. Um, Chipotle was in the news this week uh, for its new automation tests, uh, which is really interesting because, you know, they purchased an automation company a few years ago at this point. Um, during the pandemic, they purchased one and they 
but around the same time that Sweetgreen also purchased a technology company. And so we were kind of wondering what Chipotle was going to do. They had the, they used a robot to make the chips at one time. Um, and, but it was sort of like, what are they going to do with this? Um, we have already seen Sweetgreen open its infinite kitchen, which is automated. Um, but we're waiting on Chipotle and Chipotle is now automating its avocado production, not production. It's avocado <laughs> making. They're not built. They're not, uh, they're not growing the avocados. Guacamole uh, production. That's yeah. next. Avocado production down the road. Yeah, growing it in the kitchens. That's right. That's uh, old Chipotle. That would have been old Chipotle. You know what? That's such a good point. Farm. That's such a good point. I'm so sorry. <laughs> so what do you guys think about this next step? I mean, I feel like automation is the next big thing in the industry. It's taking away the tasks that a lot of people don't want to do. Um, I think that's kind of where the restaurant industry is going in terms of this automation is it's taking the tasks that people don't want to do. So mm -hmm. they're free to do other things rather than completely replacing workers. But um, what do you guys think? Yeah, it, well, and, and to clarify, um, you know, you, you mentioned Sweetgreen, which maybe that's an uncomfortable pairing when we talk about Sweetgreen and Chipotle in the same breath after their little kerfuffle early, earlier this year. Kerfuffle. Ker kerfuffle. That's a fun word, right? Um, you know, Sweetgreen, what they're doing, uh, and this is sort of more in line with, I think, what kind of futuristic uh, folks might think about when they think about robots and restaurants. Um, Sweetgreen acquired a restaurant brand called Spice out of Boston that was doing like a fully automated process where the customer, you know, types into a kiosk what they want. And then right in front of them is this um, uh, it made a, um, a pan frying process uh, that, you know, drops the ingredients and fries it up, puts it in a bowl, boom, right to the, the guest. And this, so that's very, it's a very flashy customer facing kind of thing. So Sweetgreen acquired that. They've spent a lot of time, you know, figuring out how to um, integrate it into the Sweetgreen business. And now they have this infinite kitchen that Holly, you mentioned. And, and I think they're just sort of in test mode to see how that goes. What Chipotle is doing is a little bit more, I think, realistic compared to the futuristic. Nothing wrong with the futuristic because I think what, what that represents, what I talked about with Sweetgreen, I think that's a, a version of where the industry goes. But the more sort of, yeah, you know, right now of this moment, easier way to automate things is is more in what um, Chipotle is doing, which is to take some more mundane processes in the kitchen and automate those. And to date, that has been with Chippy, the robot that's making the tortilla chips, and now the autocado, autocado, which is basically um, processing the avocados in preparation for guacamole. And I think as I understood it, it cut down the process of preparing guacamole by at least half. It went from like 50 minutes to 20, 25 minutes, something along those lines. And the whole reason you do that is not the flashiness of customers watching and ooh robots, but more just like I'm, we just saved a half hour of our employees' time to spend doing something else. This is all about efficiency, which we've been talking about all year. Um, and they also, I think, Holly, what you referenced was they had also acquired a company that was doing this sort of automated make line. That's uh, uh, another thing Chipotle has done in the automated realm. So all of this is, again, back to efficiency. It's about to, about simplifying some of the more mundane processes. Um, it, it helps give Chipotle sort of a, a, the message of where you want to work for us because we're taking all these mundane tasks out of your responsibilities. Uh, you know, if they keep paying customer or paying employees the same amount, but cutting back on their tasks, that's more attractive. Um, and then of course, it's just, you know, it, you can become a more profitable, efficient business by, by doing some of the things. Caveat that to say Chipotle can afford these companies, right? I mean, Chipotle, um, you know, is of the size 
uh, that they can say, we're going to drop, I think it was 50 million or something on this Vibu. I think I got that right. Vibu company. And um, not everybody could do that. Totally. And just to clarify, the $50 million is there in their like venture fund that Chipotle started for this very purpose. That's right. That a was a total fund, not just a couple of years ago. Right? I believe $50 million is the total venture fund um, it, that in this Cultivate Next, which is a venture fund That's that right. Chipotle started a year and a half to two years ago. Um, and so they, at the time, invested in Hyphen, they invested in Meaty Foods, and those were also situations where they made the investment and then they started using those companies' products almost immediately. Um, they upgraded their make lines in some restaurants, things like that. Um, and so this is, I believe this is the first investment that this venture fund has made, like since it launched, since those first two. Um, so that's exciting to see Chipotle like still doing things uh, in that space. Uh, I think it's, you know, great that they invest in these companies whose products they are using in their stores. I think it's kind of a win-win situation for everybody. It seems like a smart way to do it. Like Sam said, uh, Chipotle employees are happy because they don't have to make guacamole anymore. <laughs> um, I think it's great to find a way to incorporate technology into your restaurant without making your workers worry about whether they're going to be replaced. Um, there are plenty of other jobs for Chipotle workers to do besides making guacamole. Uh, and I think those are the tasks that the workers would be happier to do anyway. So the workers are happy. Um, it seems like a big win and I'm excited to see how it pans out. Will they, you know, implement it across the board? I don't think they have already. I think it's in test. Um, yes, they're testing it. Um, also kind of cool to see some automation of food products that are not fried. Um, you mentioned, you know, they automated their chip frying process. We've got, you know, robots that fry burgers and French fries and donuts. Um, but I can't think of many other like automated, like quote unquote robots that prepare foods that aren't fried. So it's kind of cool to see that coming along. I wonder what else the robots can make. Uh, I also just really love this picture on the website of a guy with a bowl that has like a hundred avocados in it, like peeled and everything. It's too many <laughs> no. avocados. No such thing. Way too many avocados. No such thing as too many avocados. <laughs> Well, what we learned from the Chipotle store that unionized is that they were having a labor problem. And so I think this is one of the ways that they are trying to actively tackle that um, so they keep their workers happy. And, you know, we we saw that that was their main complaint when they when this union, when this store filed for unionization was they said there just wasn't enough workers. And so, you know, I think Chipotle is doing the smart thing where maybe Starbucks isn't. And I think Chipotle is trying to please workers in a way that you know, Starbucks could maybe take a note on. Okay, nothing to say from the peanut gallery. Boy, that was a painful silence. <laughs> I, I mean, we nodded. I just forgot that nodding doesn't communicate well on podcasts. Yeah, I mean, Starbucks has similar things. I mean, obviously, like, they're not making this it's a totally different like food product but you know they upgraded all of their drink machines last year for the same purpose of being able to like make those like fancy drinks more efficiently um stuff like that so i mean hey if this would help them out then great but i just i think it's a totally different animal 
if I might add to, um, it's interesting. I think the hump we'll have to overcome is customer's perception of quality. Because if you'll indulge me, Chipotle, the old regime, would have been so against this, right? The Seavell's regime, the food with integrity, the Willie Nelson song in the, you know, five minute video, animated video about how great our farm, you know, raised food is, clashes with this idea of a robot preparing an avocado. Um, And so it's just one of many, many things that the old Chipotle regime would not have done that the Brian Nickel regime has done. And, and, and much to Chipotle's benefit, I might add. Um, but if we then look at Starbucks, Starbucks has always kind of been like artisanal coffee, right? Like artisanal coffee beverages are kind of their thing, right? And they were influenced by Italian coffee shops that Howard Schultz visited that are all about sort of the human sort of artistic craft of, of an espresso. And I just am curious, do customers care when you take people out of these processes? Do customers still um, consider this a high quality artisanal product if it's made by robots? Because, I mean, I th- I'm inclined to say that the answer now is increasingly yes. I think they just care about how it tastes. But I just think this is, this is all fairly new because five, six, seven years ago, a lot of restaurants would have said, oh, no, 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 like our artisanal product must be hand sliced. And, you know, humans must do this. It is artisanal um, because otherwise they would have run into sort of a branding and messaging issue. But now I just I don't know. I mean, I think if you can get something out faster, more conveniently and the same quality, I, I don't think customers care as much. Well, look, Subway's doing the opposite. They are trying to look more artisanal with their new meat slicers. Like they're going in a little bit of the opposite direction because I think they felt they were too similar and regimented. And I, so I, I find it interesting how the industry is kind of changing to different customer needs because the, all customers don't need the same thing. I think there can be a lot of differences between like segments too. Like the subway customer is not the same as the Chipotle customer. I mean, like the same person might go, but you're looking for different things at each place. And I think subway got to a point where like all of the sandwich competitors were doing freshly sliced meats. Um, and so Subway said, oh, shoot, like we're hearing from our consumers that they don't come here anymore because they can go down the street and get, you know, what they perceive to be a fresher product. Um, Whereas at Chipotle, you know, a customer might just want to get in and out quickly. They might perceive, I mean, I think Chipotle customers perceive Chipotle as being like a fresh product anyway. Um, I don't know. There are so many things that go into it, but it is fascinating to watch. different restaurant companies respond to different consumer needs and prioritize them differently. Okay, well, that kind of brings us to the McCafe story, because I feel like they are prioritizing things that they maybe don't think are popular, though, according to the internet, some things are very popular that they're getting rid of. Um, So McDonald's is eliminating its McCafe bakery line. It's only three items, so it's not like it's their whole shebang, Um, but they are getting rid of them. Customers are saying things online, but what from what Joanna Fantosi reported, they're kind of talking more about some other items that have been discontinued from the menu more than they're talking about these items. So that could be a whole Taco Bell situation for them where they are forced to bring back an item of food, but we'll get into that in a little bit. Um, so they're getting rid of their whole McCafe bakery line. Uh, but I find this interesting because they are the leader in the breakfast segment. You'd think that they would be able to support these items 
Um, so what do you guys think? Yeah, I'm not sure what their reasoning is for getting rid of these, but I think it must have been a long time coming because McDonald's started working with Krispy Kreme months ago, um, started serving some Krispy Kreme donuts in restaurants, and that feels like they were getting ready for this. You know what I mean? Like they were outsourcing general breakfast pastry seeing how that worked so that they could cut it themselves again i don't know what their reasoning is um it's interesting they're also still adding menu items um they're testing out uh some sort of dessert product that's popular in malaysia in their malaysia stores um thinking about bringing it over to the us so it might just be a matter of trying to clear out the menu to make room for other products, perhaps more interesting products. I don't know. Um, I think that the McCafe items are, you know, it was a blueberry muffin, apple fritter, cinnamon roll. I feel like there are lots of places you can get those products and maybe McDonald's, you know, wants to focus on some of their more original menu items in the breakfast space. And at the end of the day, like these products must not have been performing the way that they wanted them to or expected them to. And so they get the ax and, you know, Krispy Kreme is here. You can get a donut, you can whatever. Um, but yeah, it was also interesting to see sort of the outrage because we just recently had um, Chick-fil-A say that it was going to eliminate its side salad. And there was so much outrage on the internet that they said, never mind, you can keep your salad. <laughs> um, so it's always interesting. I think this is the first like big menu acts we've seen since then. And so it's funny to watch it unfold and be like, is McDonald's going to cave? But I don't think, um, I don't think they will. I think they have a plan. And I don't think they're worried about losing out on like that day part, for example. I would imagine that most of McDonald's breakfast day part money probably comes from coffee. So I that is know. correct. Yeah. I'm yeah. like, I just made that up, but it can't be wrong. <laughs> I, I believe there's some sort of statistic about how McDonald's coffee sales are bigger than most coffee chains, except for Starbucks or something like there's something along those lines, but I'm not going to make it up right now. Yeah. I mean, um, I think Leanne's spot on with this, which is like, this is just one of those basic, what is performing and what is not. How do we save some money? How do we um, cut some of the low performers? And these were some of the low performers. And, you know, those items, those big, the big goods that there are many other places that you can go for those items. Um, and McDonald's didn't have to serve that. And by getting rid of them, I'm sure, and they would have looked into this, they're not going to hurt their breakfast sales probably almost at all is my assumption. And, and, uh, you know, again, not to uh, beat a dead horse here, but it's, it's the efficiency thing, right? Which is like a partnership with Krispy Kreme allows them to offer that baked good sweet treat in the morning to those who want it when they come in for their cup of coffee without the complexities of producing it themselves. So um, I, I see this very much as a straightforward, these were not performing well, therefore they get the ax, save some money, uh, limit uh, some of the complexities, and, um, but to Leanne's point about the marketing, that is interesting because I mean, McDonald's will always have the biggest spotlight shined on them forever because they're the biggest restaurant company, no matter what they do, they could add something to the menu, take something off, off the menu, uh, whatever it is, there's always going to be a lot of reaction from all over the world. And if you were, 
if you were, uh, you know, held captive by your fan base in such a way that you could never get rid of anything uh, because they freaked out, if you did, well, then you would fail as a business. You, you just have to make some unpopular decisions. Um, I'm reminded now of, this is sort of tangential, but uh, these streaming services the, the, like Netflix, Disney, you know, there's a sort of something going on with them right now, which is in order to save money, they're slashing all these titles from their streaming platforms and everybody's up in arms because they're like, if I can't watch it there, I can't watch it anywhere. And then eh, there's a whole contractual issue with actors and writers and things too about, okay, well, how am I ever going to get residuals on this? But it's the same thing, which is like, this is a business decision and not everybody has to be happy about it. Um, so so I, I, I would be interested to know what went through Chick-fil-A's head on bringing, you know, at, at kowtowing to the audience who was up in arms about losing a side salad because like, that's a that's a big commitment to say we change our mind on something that maybe it was going to save money. Not that Chick Fil A needs to save much money because they make so doggone much of it. Um, but yeah, I, it, end of the day, McDonald's. I think it seems that they're just following in step with everybody else, and they're just tightening the screws on their business, finding efficiencies, finding ways for partners to help them more than they have to do themselves, in, in a way that creates complexities. Well, something that I was thinking about is Taco Bell because Taco Bell brings back old menu items all the time. You know, they cowed to pressure on the Mexican pizza, but it happened to be an amazing marketing campaign for them. So, you know, it turned out well for them, but they constantly have these like voting, voting competitions where they bring back a certain menu item and, and it's really working for them. And I think McDonald's is starting to lean more into nostalgia than they have in the past. You know, they have the Grimace shake for its 50 something birthday. Um, and so I think that they are starting to lean more into nostalgia as that's where the trends are going, um, because often the biggest chains are kind of behind the eight ball on marketing trends. Um, so I think that they're kind of seeing where that's going. And I wonder if they'll bring back an older menu item uh, in because the people online really wanted like the little cinnamon twists, which are like the inside of the cinnamon roll, just like the gooey part. And people online really want those back. That has been a general consensus that people really want those back. So I wonder if McDonald's not is not, is not going to cow to pressure, but I wonder if they're going to use some of these things to their advantage the way Taco Bell has. It's a good thought. The only thing that really gets in their way of doing that, though, is the sheer size of McDonald's and how long it takes to plan something like that and prepare for the supply. I heard once, and this was at least 10 years ago that I heard this, but it still blew my mind. And it was like, if if McDonald's tomorrow added a dish with blueberries on it, it would immediately wipe out the world's supply of blueberries. And so if McDonald's wants to add blueberries to the menu in any form or fashion, they have to basically spend three years building up the supply chain that allows them to do that. Again, that was about 10 years ago. I don't know how things have changed since then, but it blew my mind just to think about that and to think about the scale at which McDonald's operates. So if you apply that same idea to your suggestion, Holly, they would have to spend months, if not years, planning out how to produce that item and get it to menu. And by then, everybody's forgotten that there was pressure for them to add it back. So that's a really tricky position that all companies are in now, which is this, this instantaneous nature of the masses saying, we want this or we don't want this. And... You cannot snap your fingers and make it so when you are the size of a Chick-fil-A or a McDonald's. 
So that's a really interesting thing to consider. And But I, I like the idea that nostalgia being so in, and that will always be a thing, um, that down the road, if McDonald's plans accordingly, they could do the Taco Bell thing and, and you know. I mean, they they always do it with McRib, don't they? I mean, they've done this themselves with McRib, so why wouldn't they do it for something like the cinnamon twists or whatever they are? I mean, yeah, it's not really good. The biggest ticket for Taco Bell and what would need to happen for McDonald's is just using the ingredients that you already have in the kitchen. Um, and so that's probably why they can't easily bring back the cinnamon twists. Um, they probably don't have those ingredients on site. Um, whereas Taco Bell can like say on social media, what should we bring back? Knowing that both of those items are like made from things that they already keep in stock. Um, and so while they may have to plan for more of them for a brief period of time, Taco Bell's also so big on the LTOs, which is smart for these reasons. And I'm also 100% convinced that every time the Mexican pizza leaves the menu, Taco Bell already knows when it's coming back. Um, I, I think they've got these things charted out way in advance as well they should, <laughs> as I would. Um, so yeah, and it's it's a different audience too, though. Like McDonald's primary audience, I don't think is as big on the, you know, jump on Instagram and vote for your favorite McDonald's thing. I know there are like millions of people who would do that for McDonald's, but I think Taco Bell's like primary consumer is that person, that Gen Z young millennial who's always on their phone. So I don't know, lots of potential there. But I definitely think McDonald's is trying to skew a little bit younger, especially with their famous orders. You think that they're all, you know, younger celebrities who attract like a Gen Z type person. So I think that McDonald's is definitely trying to capture more of that Taco Bell audience than they had in the past. For sure. For sure. They just don't have it yet as their primary consumer, yeah. if, I, if I had to guess. Yeah. So, but they're trying. Uh, so somebody else who's trying new things uh, is <laughs> Domino's. I tried. Um, so Domino's, uh, the long-standing delivery company, has caved and is now using a third-party aggregator uh, for their deliveries. They are, however, only using it, as they say, quote, to expand their reach to new consumers who might not be aware of Domino's, which is bizarre because how are you not aware of Domino's? But um, they're trying to reach new consumers who maybe don't go on the Domino's app or their website um, through Uber Eats. But the Domino's delivery drivers, which have experienced a big labor shortage, are still going to be driving the orders to the house. So they're just using Uber Eats as this way to expand their reach to new customers. But the Domino's delivery drivers are still driving the orders. So you still get the uniformed Domino's driver that they're known for showing up at your door with the pizza. Um, but they claim it has nothing to do with labor. I'm sure you guys have differing opinions on that. So <laughs> what's up? Well, it's like dipping their toe in the water, right? Because they're going to the third party, but mostly to take advantage of the marketplace, not the um, not the drivers. And the bigger revelation would be if they were going to the um, third party for the drivers, because that's really what Domino's prides itself on that it has its own fleet of drivers it owns its delivery business and has for 40 years um so when i saw the news this morning i was pretty shocked uh or yesterday whenever that was i was pretty shocked but then as i dug into it i'm like okay they're sort of doing it 
this is more a marketing move than anything. This is a putting Domino's into the consideration set of those customers who are just using Uber Eats to make their decisions, which who knows how big that audience is. I mean, Holly, to your point, like everybody knows of Domino's, but if for some reason you exclusively use Uber Eats to make your dining decisions, well, in the past, Domino's wasn't a part of those decisions because it wasn't on there. So you just didn't see it. Um, so that, so that, yeah, it's, it's, it's getting digital real estate. That's what this is all about. Um, however, I'm sure this is a, let's see how it goes. And down the road, maybe we'll start tapping into the drivers too, because Domino's has really struggled with that part of things. As we know, the, the labor crunch has hurt them very badly, uh, because it has been very hard for them to find drivers, which is again, their pride and joy. So I'll be fascinated to see if we don't hear from six months, a year from now, Domino's has gone full hog into the third party delivery. Now, to their benefit, uh, labor seems to be softening. Um, you know, inflation, we just found out is cooling. We are uh, the the powers that be are optimistic that we're not going to go into a recession after all. Um, and that could mean that labor generally loosens up and, and Domino's is able to fix their driver shortage without going to the third party. But I think this is their insurance policy, if I were to guess. Yeah. And in terms of people not having heard of Domino's, like, I agree. How do you how do you not? My first thought was, you know, when I was a kid, if you wanted pizza, you had to pick up the phone and call Domino's Papa John's basically Domino's or Papa John's and tell them what you wanted and give them your address and they wouldn't bring it to your house like that. And so I, it makes me wonder if people, you know, older Gen Z's millennials think of Domino's and think, oh, I would have to call Domino's on the phone. There's such a like aversion to the phone um, among people my age. I almost said young adults, but, um, you know, people my age. That's a, that's a same, uh, by the way. That's a hard same right here. I don't I like talking a, on the phone. I, was, yeah, yeah. No, I don't love talking on the phone either. Um, you know, people our age order food on their phone, like on the apps. That's just how you do things. So you might think, oh man, I want some, I want some Domino's, but like, I don't want to call somebody on the phone. And so I'm just going to open up Uber Eats or whatever in order from someone who's on there, not knowing that like, obviously the people in this room know that you can order pizza on the Domino's app. You can order pizza on the Domino's website, but we know so much <laughs> about this industry. I don't know if that's common knowledge or if it would occur to people to check and see, or if they would just say, oh, they're not on the delivery app that I prefer, but this other pizza places, whether it's Papa John's or a local place or a pizza hut. And so they just order from the one that's right in front of them. And so I wonder if it's more of that of Domino's being like, oh, people just aren't thinking of us because yeah. they don't, they don't know. And because it was, I mean, such a part of the culture to, you know, I can remember picking up the phone and calling and ordering a pizza and giving the guy 20 bucks and yeah, so I just so inefficient, people though. haven't kept up with that. I know, I know, but in the 90s, it was, you know, the height of technology. <laughs> you couldn't just I, call I, up any restaurant and have them bring you food. <laughs> I, I'm not proud of this. I'm not proud of this. But literally, I mean, Friday night, pizza night in my household, of course, because, because I'm an American. And 
you know, we're usually making that decision about four thirty, and I'm trying to I'm trying to wrap up my week, and I I'm not proud of this, but there is a pizza place near my house that I've been meaning to try, and they do not have online ordering, and I have yet to try them because at four thirty on Friday when I'm trying to wrap up work and I had to put in a pizza order, it's a heck of a lot easier to go to Marco's or Papa John's or Domino's or whoever I can go boop 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 decision made done. So yeah, if I don't know, that's a lesson for everybody. If you if you haven't gotten online ordering by now, you are missing out. <laughs> missing out on Sam's business. On my business in particular, which should count <laughs> to something, right? I mean, come on. You would think. But what I find so interesting is the labor element. They've really been struggling on labor and they had that whole carry out heroes campaign where they're trying to get people to come in and carry out their food and decrease the use of their drivers, but they are still using their drivers for this. And I think Sam's right that they're going to go whole hog in it very soon. But um, I think they're going to continue to see a driver shortage because it's not really a desirable job until they really amp up the benefits and the pay. I don't know how, how, helpful it's going to be for them to stay with their delivery services. Yeah, I'm curious to know how that driver shortage is going for them, because it was early 2022 when they were talking about that, you know, constantly, which was a long time ago, um, you know, in the grand scheme of things, a year and a half. We were still wearing masks time. at that point in time, right? Honestly, I mean, I, you know, and I forget when the Carry Out Heroes campaign was, but I think it was probably around that same time. Like, that was the last time they really said, like, we need more drivers. Um, and while I'm sure that's still true, I also can't help but feel like it must have gotten better to some extent because they just, like, haven't been drilling at home as much in earnings calls and whatnot. Um, so, yeah, I'll be curious to see. I mean, I don't know how these things work on the back end, but, like, maybe using Uber Eats will be a better experience somehow for their drivers and they can bring more in that way. Um, I don't know. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if six months from now we're hearing, Oh, Domino's is, you know, using Uber Eats drivers now too, or like, and I, I think they have an exclusive contract through the end of next year, but I wouldn't be surprised if in January, 2025, we hear Domino's is on all the third party apps. Um, and there's nothing wrong with that. I think Domino's, you know, for so long thought that people would judge them or shame them. Uh, but like, you gotta do what you gotta do. And like, yeah, we like are kind of poking fun because they, even in 2022, they were saying we have no drivers, but we'll never get on the third party apps or whatever. And it's like, yeah, it's easy to like poke fun at this decision, but there's no shame in doing what you gotta do to keep up your business. And, you know, I mean, the things, those pizza wars are, close you know papa john's pulling ahead in some places and sam mentioned marco's they're right on the top three's heels so there's you know a lot a lot to think about and i don't think there's any shame in using third-party delivery i hope it works for them i mean i hope everything works for everyone wow <laughs> just wants out. everyone to be happy <laughs> let's all sing kumbaya man <laughs> You know what? I can be positive at times. That's good. Rarely, Positivity but I is a plus. <laughs> All right. So, Sam, do you want to tell us a little bit about your interview for today? You and Mark uh, Brando talked about the top 500. We did. Our indeed. very lovely report. Do you want to give the listeners just like a little sneak peek? I'd be happy to. Yes. Last week. Last week? Last, last week. week. Wow. 
time, right? Uh, last week, Mark and I were on LinkedIn Live talking about the top 500 results. Uh, for those following closely, Mark uh, has great uh, experience in the data world, and now he's uh, on our team. He's uh, with our NRN intelligence team. And so he has this great way of being able to analyze process and talk about data. So we had him join to talk about the top 500, which of course is data results for the top 500 restaurant companies. And uh, we had a very, very uh, interesting conversation. We did not talk about Cleveland sports, so don't worry. There's none of that in there. We could have gotten into that, but we avoided it. Uh, instead, we just talked about the results and um, there's much to learn from that. So if you're curious about 2022 results and you want to know more about our top 500 and get a little bit more of an in-depth in analysis of, of what happened in 2022 in particular, listen on. Just don't hit stop. It'll just happen. It'll roll into the interview. Get all your pork items for your operation with Smithfield Culinary. Choose from Smithfield Smoke and Fast products and add barbecue to your menu without adding a pitmaster to your payroll. Or browse our margarita offerings, encompassing everything from pepperoni and pizza toppings to a variety of authentic, specialty Italian meats. Finally, serve what you love with Smithfield, including everything from bacon to deli meats and much more. For the products and solutions to keep running strong, visit smithfieldculinary.com. They'll roll right in. So Lucky you. <laughs> so everybody enjoy that conversation. Um, and until then, I will thank my lovely co-host for joining me. I'm Sam Okus, Editor-in-Chief of NRN. And uh, today I'm going to be joined by my friend and colleague, Mark Brando, Associate Director of Research and Insights for NRN Intelligence, as we take a look at the top 500 results, offer our analysis on the state of the industry, take questions from the audience, and try not to talk too much about Cleveland sports. Okay, at this point, I am excited to bring on my colleague, Mark Brando, the Associate Director of Research and Insights for NRN Intelligence. Mark, how's it going? Good to talk to you. Hey, Sam. I'm, I'm great. Living the dream. Uh, you know, had a good fourth, not really hung over or anything, so ready to go. Excellent. That's great. We're fresh. We're ready to go. Here comes the second half of the year. No time like now to be able to talk about top 500 and the results from 2022. Uh, of course, when we do our top 500, that's what we're looking at. We are measuring information that um, was is annualized year-end 2022. So when we talk about sales, when we talk about unit counts, we are referring to 2022 data. Um, much has changed in six months for some of these companies. Um, so we recognize that, but we'll be specifically addressing things as it relates to 2022. Um, so uh, just a reminder to the audience too, we will be taking questions throughout this session. Um, obviously, Mark here is uh, very knowledgeable on all things top 500. I try, I, I kick around here and there. I see what I can do. Uh, I like to think I can answer some questions too, but please do ask your questions in the comments there as we're talking and we will try to get to them at some point in the session. Um, so Mark, let's just kick it off. Uh, what's your overall impression of things based on the top 500 this year? How do you think things are going for the restaurant industry? Well, in a in a word, I think things are going well. Uh, we sort of had this idea that things were uh, nicely on the rebound, and the the data bore them out. But it's not it's not quite um, you know all systems go for every part of the equation. Uh, you know, in generally, we are back to some pretty nice robust sales growth, uh, but unit growth is going to take a little bit more time. And I think that sort of makes sense given the world we lived in. Uh, since, you know, the beginning of 2020. Uh, but, you know, overall, just to give, uh, you know, some numbers to it, 
we looked at 2022 results and then across the top 500 uh, chains in our study, uh, their collective unit growth was positive 1.1%. So, you know, um, certainly not negative, a uh, little bit better than flat, but the sales growth was uh, nearly 9%. Uh, so positive 8.7%. And if you sort of uh, back out the calculation like we do, for estimated sales per unit, it's a bit of a more apples to apples comparison uh, than an AUV would be. Um, that is going to yield, you know, something in the you know high to mid seven percent range, which kind of tracks with uh, where inflation has kind of been uh, since uh, the beginning of 2022. So, uh, all in all, we are uh, you know certainly back to nominal sales growth. Um, doing okay in terms of real sales growth. And uh, hopefully we're about ready to start taking off, uh, accelerating unit growth again pretty soon. Yeah, I, I agree with all with that. Um, you know, it's what one thing I think uh, just broadly it's nice to see is none of these wacky numbers. Um, the past two years with the top 500, you saw these like sharp 50% rise or fall, of course, depending on which year it was and which brand it was. This year, you saw a lot more just very standard um, kind of growth um, or for some brands, you know, um, not growth. But I think to your point, um, you know, one in, one number that really popped to me was 91% of the 500 brands had sales growth. Mm -hmm. That's 456 of the 500 had sales growth. Mm -hmm. But if you count for inflation, it was something like only less than two thirds actually right about, sales yeah. growth, something along those lines. So that's, mm -hmm. I good, think, a good indicator of what's going on with the industry as it relates to inflation. Well, in both of those measures, I think, to me anyway, that indicates that consumer demand for dining out has been pretty resilient. Um, we are, you know, so we're past the scariest parts of what the pandemic meant. And for the past, I would say, year and a half, we have been dealing with these after effects of very, very high inflation. Um, and then on the operator side, people are uh, really concerned about a labor shortage. I think that by now, a lot of the supply chain disruption has mostly been worked through. Uh, but, you know, conditions aren't, they're not perfect. And, you know, they're not even close to ideal compared to what uh, the world was like before 2020. But um, still, with all of the, you know, inflation that is in the economy and all of the menu price increases that consumers have seen because of that, uh, they still, I, I think, are um, willing to spend on dining out, which is a really great sign for the industry, especially, hopefully, if um, a lot of those macroeconomic uh, numbers abate over the next, you know, call it six to 18 months. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and to one that, thing too that I could just add one more thing. I, I yeah. think what, what, has, what was um, really heartening to see it looked like a lot of a lot of d different dining out occasions. There was broad recovery among all of them. Um, you know, I, I think from really uh, you know high dollar experiences like a like a fine dining uh, occasion, we saw fine dining brands do do incredibly well. You know, among among you know the uh, most sales growth was recorded by uh, brands like Ocean Prime, very very fine dining restaurant. Um, we saw uh, a lot of strength in the upscale casual segment of full service, um, you know, all the way down to, you know, in quick service, I think that LSR coffee um, and, uh, you know, dessert occasions, those are, you know, smaller dollar indul indulgences, but, 
you know, it's, I think it's a good sign if if those sorts of brands built around that kind of occasion are really taking off, and they are. Um, and then what I think is kind of in sort of a, a middle class of of you know these industry occasions, you look at um, limited service salad and healthful chains, limited service chicken chains. You know, they they certainly have strength at lunch, but they're doing well. I think going into different day parts um, and have been able to really grow. So. Uh, kind of across all these different need states that consumers have, I think it's safe to say that um, they're they're kind of all back. You know, it's it's not it's not just like the uh, worries that we had about oh my gosh when is commuting going to come back or what happened to my downtown lunch crowd. Th- those are all still kind of under pressure, but we're not even we're not so worried that they're never coming back. I mean, even even entertainment is really coming back strong. Yeah, I, I think you're absolutely right. One of the um, sort of telling points, I think you, you mentioned it, but just the uh, rebound of full service upscale, especially fine dining, upscale casual, to see the rebound of some of those brands. And that you did see some actually some pretty strong, there were some 40, 50% increases, especially when it came to the estimated sales per unit. Um, mm-hmm. That's where I think you can clearly see that resilience among the customer set that people want to get back because if they're going back out into the upscale restaurants, that means the demand is there for them to get out there. So you mentioned the categories. Let's get into the categories because I think that's where you see a lot of the nuance of what's going on in the restaurant industry today and a little bit of a, a pr- good predictor of where things are going. Um, so just talking about, we, we measure 16 categories, mm-hmm. um, which are pretty much all the standards that you would expect. Um, what were some of the standout stories from when you look at the data in the categories, which categories in particular impress you? I know you mentioned a couple already, but if you want to dig a little deeper on some of these categories that are especially impressing you. I'd, I'd love to. Um, so where I started with this question was uh, I went back and I, I looked at some of the other numbers that were provided to us by Data Central. And um, so when they were looking at uh, unit growth in 2022 compared with 2019, so obviously every segment had uh, you know unit declines um, and sales declines in 2020. And then they were looking at, okay, so of all those segments, which ones have kind of, you know, rebounded and, and you know, what they sort of described as boomerang back? Uh, pretty much uh, almost all of our segments are kind of back to, uh, you know, unit growth and approaching their 2019 unit count levels. Um, but the exception, there are, there are only three exceptions, and that's um, limited service sandwich. A lot of that is driven by uh, Subway. You know, it's the biggest uh, uh, location. It's the biggest chain by location in the country in the segment. They're still in a decline. They're being offset by growth stories like Jersey Mike's or Charlie's, um, you know. But they sort of are weighing that that category down a little bit. Um, FSR mid scale is still, I think, struggling. A lot of that has to do with uh, where those uh, chains are concentrated. They're a little bit more exurban and rural, um, and so uh, you know those locations are under a little bit more pressure. Um, and then limited service bakery cafe is one that is still just kind of struggling to, uh, you know, reinvent itself for the way things are right now. Like any segment, it has its growth stories. They have Perry Bigette. It's what I'm, I'm looking at pretty closely, but then they're weighed down by some that are struggling like corner bakery, Oban pan. Um, by the way, bonus I, points for saying it in the Parisian fashion. <laughs> <laughs> I'm erudite. What do you want? Um, <laughs> All right. So, but when we talk about standout segments, 
you know, it kind of every year that I've done a study like this, uh, whether here or, or at Data Central, it, it, it has kind of always started with um, limited service, health focused uh, restaurants. You know, uh, they started out, a lot of them were kind of salad focused and smoothie focused, but um, the whole category, it's, it's uh, pretty exciting because they've really diversified into healthful uh, bowls, juices. Um, there's a lot of culinary innovation across this segment, and it's uh, the one that's doing uh, the best as a segment. So in 2022, uh, that had the best unit growth of any segment, almost 7% unit growth collectively. Uh, and then it also had uh, sales growth of more than 17%. So uh, really, it's kind of on fire. Uh, that's one that has a big kind of duopoly at the top of uh, Smoothie King and Tropical Smoothie Cafe. Those are both more than a thousand units across the country. Uh, they're still growing. They're still getting a lot of franchisee interest, um, and they're really driving the, the category. But you know, there are sorts of there are all sorts of really great growth stories in it too. Um, the fastest growing chain that we saw this past year is in that segment, and that is Dig. Uh, used to be known as Dig In. Uh, now it's just dig and that's more of a healthful bowl concept, not just salads. Um, so they're kind of at the, at the tip of the spear of, you know, this, this, uh, way that restaurants can really make healthful food, uh, much more interesting and, and diverse, um, portable, uh, in a, in a lot of ways. So, uh, that's a big growth story, but then so is, I'm, I'm keeping a close eye on, on salad and go. I'm, I'm sure you are too. Oh yeah. Um, you know, if there's any kind of one executive to bet on, <laughs> uh, it's probably Salad and Go's uh, chief executive, Charlie Morrison, who came over from Wingstop. Um, you know, and I think we were all kind of wondering, oh, why is he going to this, you know, kind of upstart? If I were him, I would just, you know, kind of run Wingstop forever and print money. But, um, <laughs> you know, he's got uh, that that brand has a lot of really cool things going for it. So. Uh, salad Hallful is one that I'm always uh, looking out, and that's that's uh, not even mentioning Sweet Green, right? Right. Um, another one too. I would. They're both. They're both in limited service. Um, I think limited service chicken and limited service coffee. Um, those are both really interesting. Where um, there are so many kind of uh, emerging players that have really interesting takes on on those segments, uh, and they're going up against some really huge incumbents. And, you know, those segment leaders are kind of taking that competition and they're still doing well. They're still innovating on their own terms. So they're, they're both really cool to watch. Um, so limited service chicken, obviously um, the biggest chicken, you know, in, in the industry is Chick-fil-A. Um, they just keep doing it. They're, you know, what, what else can you say? They do, you know, almost 7 million bucks a store six days a week. Um, they have, uh, you know, incredible operations, you, you know, every double drive through is just, you're zipping right through it. They're good at technology. They're good at menu innovation. Um, you know, but that doesn't, but that doesn't, uh, you know, keep the rest of the segment from growing raising canes. Uh, again, they're doing, um, you know, several million dollars, uh, you know, per store, they are just growing like wildfire and it's all off of a limited menu. Um, they're just incredible at what they do. Um, it's execution, it's throughput, um, and they're they're great at it. Uh, but in, in chicken, I'm 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 wondering if, if there are any ones that you're looking at. I'm of course looking at Dave's Hot Chicken. Um, it's it's sort of reached maturity, right? Uh, for the last five years, 
Nashville hot chicken as a culinary trend has certainly, you know, it took off. I think it's really maturing um, across independent menus and, you know, other chain menus. Uh, they have kind of Nashville hot offerings, but, you know, here is the first uh, restaurant brand to really make a chain out of that signature offering um, and innovate around it. Yeah, I totally agree. Dave's was, Dave's was my pick too. I, I I think they're one of the call it four or five restaurants on the top five hundred that to me are just in a different stratosphere as far as momentum goes right now. Sure. Um, and uh, you know, for me, I you know, for me, it's it's um, Dave's, it's Crumble, uh, it's Salad and Go. Going back to what you're talking about, um, you know, Dig is really interesting. You brought up Dig. Dig's really interesting because I think they're also very emblematic of the rebound story going on right now. Because Dig, a lot of their growth was actually reopenings of several restaurants that were closed for a long time. So that's right. really interesting too because they reopened several stores and and opened some new stores as well. Um, but to your point, demonstrate the demand for um, for more healthful uh, dishes and they're, they're pushing into suburbs. And so demonstrating that demand. Um, but yeah, chicken, interesting. A couple of things I find really, really fascinating. If you break down these segments, um, the first thing I would throw out there is that three of the top five segments by sales growth are full service. Mm -hmm. So that's a really interesting point because going back to this idea of full services rebound, you have full service, uh, regional slash global, uh, full service seafood and steak, and full service sports bar. Those are three categories that by sales growth, they are all doing over by my count, looks like over 13% each 13, 14, 15% in that range, each of those as far as sales growth. Mm -hmm. So that's particularly noteworthy just because again, I think a lot of momentum on the full service side of things. Um, salad healthful, like you said, I think there's, there's been a momentum for that category for several years now. Um, but we're seeing, I think maybe some, some, it's taken root, you know, it's, it's, it's legitimately growing, I think becoming an actually, uh, a strong contender year in, year out, um, as far as the, the segments go. And the last thing I'll throw at you, actually, I'll throw two more things at you. First is coffee. You brought up coffee. I think that's mm -hmm. really interesting because, you're seeing a diversification of the brands in these spaces. And going back to your point on chicken, you see, you know, Chick-fil-A does not own that market. You see the diversification of the brands, um, Raising Cane's, Dave's, uh, BBQ Chicken, some others that are coming up in that space. Yeah. Um, but I think you, you especially see that in coffee now because you see Dutch Bros is the third largest coffee chain today, which yeah. – if you had quick. said that sentence three years ago, I would have said, who's Dutch bros? <laughs> exactly. I, I'm, as an East Coaster, I'm just not, I, I, they've not been in front of me as much, but now they're just like incredible growth. Yeah, I've, I've still never been because I don't get west of the Mississippi very often, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, they're coming. They're coming for us, Mark. We're going to get our Dutch bros before too long. So if you're watching Dutch bros, Chicago and Ohio, we're waiting yeah, for you. <laughs> absolutely. Bring it on. And, and, you know, what's interesting about Dutch brothers uh, they're totally built for the moment right now, right? They're they're yeah. a drive-through focused coffee chain um, at a at a time when, you know, in this in this segment, uh, you know, convenience and accessibility are you know they're more important than ever. This this uh, emphasis on you know the the third place where you actually go to you know enjoy coffee on premise that's not it's not going away. Um, you know, Starbucks was was of course right to cultivate that over the last several decades. Um, yeah. But where we are right now, um, the, the brands that are growing so much within coffee, and it's not just, 
not just Dutch Brothers, but it's also uh, scooters. It's Ziggy's. These are, um, uh, you know, very small footprint coffee houses that are meant to be, uh, you know, built around the drive-through, built around throughput, um, often with a focus on technology to make that all happen. And they're just, they're really built for the moment right now. Um, you know, and just like Chick-fil-A, uh, you know, Starbucks is the biggest brand in this segment. Um, they are taking all this competition and they are still doing pretty well. Um, Starbucks ended the year, you know, just a little bit slightly negative on uh, net store count um, as they were sort of right-sizing, um, you know, and, and uh, probably taking the opportunity to uh, get out of some real estate that didn't make sense anymore. Uh, but they still grew sales uh, by by double digits, I believe. And so, you know, they were uh, they were just emblematic of uh, a lot of these brands, not just in the top 10, but across the industry that uh, even if unit count, even if unit growth is not kind of back in the cards yet, uh, sales growth definitely was. So, um, you know, really LSR Coffee was kind of a microcosm of the the rest of of the the industry. Yeah, yeah, that's an interesting point. And and to to put a number on this, of the sixteen categories, only two had unit count growth over two percent mm -hmm. collectively, and that was LSR Salad Healthful and LSR Chicken. To your point, mm -hmm. so um, so that says a lot, I think, about just generally where growth is today, and that's its whole other can of worms. We'll address maybe sometime on another LinkedIn Live talking about the challenges for growth. But yeah, unit count growth. Definitely harder to come by. And, and the last point I'll throw out, though, about the categories, um, I think this is just my hunch, um, but sort of related to what we were talking about with LSR Healthful becoming more of a legitimate category. Mm -hmm. If you look, um, and I'm just referencing my, my, my data over here, which is why I'm looking over this way. If you look <laughs> at the categories sort of stacked up by sales growth, um, your last two are LSR Burger and LSR Pizza. And if you think about those two categories, those are titans of the restaurant industry, right? That's where sure. that's, I mean, the major chains are in those two categories. And then you see, you know, also further down the line are LSR sandwich to your point, um, LSR Mexican. I, I, the point I'm trying to bring up here is that when you see at the top, you're seeing salad, helpful, full service, global, full service seafood steak, LSR coffee. To me, it's a diversification of the restaurant industry, period. I just feel like what we're seeing is momentum for more options, more choices than what the restaurant industry has traditionally had. And that's obviously a great thing, but it just feels mm -hmm. to me like the data really plays out that, you know, yes, pizza and burgers will be here forever. They are not going anywhere but the momentum has really shifted to a lot of these other more diversified concepts that are coming up now. I, I totally agree. And, and, you know, it, I think it's um, the restaurant industry is kind of showing consumers uh, a, a different way to, you know, consume things that we're pretty familiar with. I mean, uh, cookies, <laughs> you know, the, uh, the, the fact that crumble cookies is just essentially doubling in size uh, at, at this moment is kind of incredible. Um, you know, but they're able to do it. They they are very very good at leveraging their technology. Their unit economics are incredibly solid. Um, they're picking the right markets, uh, and and so they're just sort of building on uh, the strength of a well executed concept built around something that we are familiar with. So, um, I totally take your point that you know we are uh, branching out into uh, Asian cuisines and healthful bowls. Um, 
you know, seafood is really showing a lot of strength in terms of in full service. It's uh, Cajun seafood concepts like, um, you know, there is crab du jour, there's hook and reel. In limited service, we're seeing a lot of growth still from poke concepts. Uh, you know, right now, brands that are on a, a tear would be, uh, you know, Mobetas. Um, poke Brothers is still uh, growing, Hawaiian Brothers. Um, you know, and, you know, I think we can still build a, a pretty compelling growth story around cookies, too. <laughs> Always a compelling uh, growth story around cookies. Uh, let's talk about Grumble a little bit, though. I mean, and, and any other brands that impress, because I do want to just drive home that point. Crumble Cookies, uh, they more than doubled unit count in sales. Um, that's after a year where they more than doubled unit count in sales. I mean, this is a five, six years now that they have been having this incredible momentum. Eventually that will stop because you can't double. I mean, you know, the <laughs> first six months of 23, it's possible I'm going to get a note that Crumble already doubled in the first six months of 2023. I don't even know because it just feels like they're going so fast. It has to stop at some point. But I, I do <laughs> I do think there's something to learn here about simplicity of the operation. I, and it's not to downplay their, you know, quality of their product or anything. But like when you talk about just simplicity of the operation, the necessary um, real estate they need to operate, mm -hmm. the fact that they claimed this category, just planted their flag in it and just owned it right out of the gate. I don't know. To me, it just feels like there's a blueprint here for what will be the next crumple and and it to, to me it just seems like there's a lot to learn on if you want to grow quickly with other people's money they're franchising right. um they've really struck up they've really struck on this blueprint that i think makes a ton of sense i i agree yeah you know the the few times that i'm in a crumble store uh you know the the real estate that i occupy or any of the other customers occupy is just, you know, maybe 10 square feet in front of the register. Uh, the rest of the store is just, you know, their giant facility for making all these cookies. And then they're just sending them out, out the door, um, you know, constantly. Uh, you know, I, I think that you were asking me before about, you know, differences in growth potential between full service and limited service. It's, it's not 100% bifurcated. I mean, it's obviously going to be a combination of, of both and, and art and science. But on the limited service side, I really think that the the brands that are positioned well right now are the ones that are really, really hitting, you know, uh, convenience, um, accessibility, throughput, throughput, efficient operations. Um, on the full service side, I think it's probably more of, you know, rather than convenience, it's more about experience. Um, you know, that's that's long been kind of the dynamic between full service and, and quick service. You know, we're not breaking new ground here, but it's really, I think, accelerating um, in the past, I would say, six to 12 months, at least from what we're seeing uh, of brands that are growing in, in, in this data. Yeah, I guess we would be remiss not to mention talking about Salad and Go. While, yes, part of their appeal is in this healthful category that's gaining momentum, they are a drive-through pickup only concept mm -hmm. small footprint um right now they're prioritizing growth in texas oklahoma arizona western states that seem to have infinite space for them to just boom into so yeah i mean to your point like um th there there is a clear um direction here for these convenience oriented concepts and convenience not just you know, can you make this product more conveniently served? But can you make a product that has not traditionally been conveniently served in the past, i.e. salads, mm -hmm. can you put that in the package 
of a convenience uh, of a convenience oriented restaurant like a like a burger concept um, coffee too. So so anyway, I, I, I think all of these are definite um, signs of what's to come for the future. And I think we'll see a lot more of that. Of course, we see we see generally uh, restaurants trying to be more efficient. We've been talking about that all year 2023 being the year of efficiency. Mm-hmm. And that is shrinking the footprint that is doing more with less out of that footprint. Um, and so now I think we just see that extending into salads, we see that extending into coffee, we see that extending into cookies. We all saw that coming, right? We were like, the cookie space is due for some innovation here. We got to do some more convenience uh, orientation around that. Uh, but yes, those are the brands. Uh, I, I, you you mentioned a couple other ones I wrote down. Jersey Mike Scooters. Those are a couple that you know were up there in like th- the top five, I think, by unit count growth. And that was just mm-hmm. um, very impressive. Scooters, uh, one of those brands that maybe a lot of people don't know about too. Um, that's actually a little bit more of an East Coast one. We have some of those here in Ohio, maybe there in Illinois as well. Nothing um, but they'll be there soon, right? Yeah. Um, so, so this kind of growth and Jersey Mike's, I just flagged um, to your point about sandwich. Subway fell another 500 or so locations. Um, now we're speaking today on the day they announced their next phase of transformation. We expect mm-hmm. to see, um, you know, some innovation from Subway. Part of that is reaction to Jersey Mike's, right? Because Subway sure. is rolling out uh slicers they're gonna fresh slice uh, meat in front of you and who's doing that jersey mike's is doing that so you yep. see that the momentum from a company like a jersey mike's or a firehouse subs is making subway pretty nervous and so um and so all around i think just a um a great competition among some of the real stalwart categories and uh at the end of the day that encourages innovation yeah well and i think that uh subway Subway, I think, is is in the midst of figuring some things out. You know, when they pivoted their menu more toward the signature series of, you know, because they built that brand on customization for so long. But then when they turned around and put these things up on the menu board, simplified the ordering process, I use that. I, I use that rather than just going down the make line at Subway. And I think that I've increased a lot of my traffic to Subway because of that. It's, you know, I'm, I'm one person that's anecdata, but, you know, I think that, um, there is, there has been, to your point, a lot of very, very good innovation at making things efficient. You know, when you were talking about Salad and Go, one thing that stood to me about Salad and Go is think about how much time they save you uh, in their strategy of kind of um, uh, making more day parts accessible and bundling them together. One of their stated strategies is they're open for breakfast, you know, starting at 630. They have a good coffee program and breakfast burritos. And they get people in the habit of buying two meals at once in the drive-thru on the way to work. You buy your breakfast burrito and you get your salad for lunch, which keeps. um, And you have both of those meals in one transaction and away you go. Um, I think that's that's brilliant. I, I think that that kind of innovation is taking the place of other kinds of operational innovation that were born out of necessity and and you know, response to the the pandemic. I mean, isn't it funny that you and I have not once mentioned uh, virtual brands yet, you know, or or, or things like that? It's refreshing, right. quite honestly. Um, sure. Yeah. You know, and and they'll they'll stick around in, in in some form where they make sense for incremental business. But um, you know, take a look at Wingstop had a great year, right? And for the past two years, so many of those virtual brands were built around their core product. Um, right. you know, and they, they sort of took that hit, they smiled and they kept going. Um, 
you know, and I think now when you look at the recovery in full service, uh, you know, in the height of the pandemic, dining rooms were closed, hours were being cut. Um, so virtual brands were, they, they made so much sense uh, in terms of, uh, you know, keeping the lights on, keeping sales going um, and just figuring out how to, you know, serve your customer. But now I think we see, we see a lot of the sales recovery in limited service and especially in full service. Um, you know, I, I think it would make sense for a lot of these brands to de-emphasize that incremental channel uh, to focus on their primary concept and their primary brand. Um, you know, and, and so we've seen that play out a little bit this year where, um, you know, some of the virtual brands, um, you know, conglomerates are, you know, they're, they're, they're making some, some moves toward that as well. So uh, yeah, the, I, I think, I think that that tactic will stick around, of course, um, it'll just need to evolve the way that we're all evolving. You know, customers are certainly using it differently. Uh, you know, the orders that I get when I'm driving DoorDash uh, are, are changing too. So uh, it's, yeah. it's all been pretty interesting to watch. It's interesting you bring that up. Yeah. Cause another one I'm thinking of is um, Brinker and Chili's. I mean, that mm -hmm. was one that, I mean, coming out of the gates in 2020, they were all on top of the virtual brand trend. Um, they had It's Just Wings, of course, which was like right away, like a $140 million brand uh, totally. or, or something along yeah. those lines. And they have since really reversed and um, have really doubled down on their core um, store prototype. Because another thing, they, they were doing the delivery carryout only units too. They were trying a lot of cool stuff um, and then just recognized we need to do what we do best. And so they just have, have walked back some of those things. And yeah, to your point, I think virtual brands obviously will always have a role um, in the industry, but yes, uh, the, the, the restaurants, certainly the top 500 representatives, um, and certainly the major, major chains are realizing we really need to, um, focus on what we do best, keep doing that, uh, because the demand is back and, and there is success to be found there. So, yeah, um, if, you have, if you have a secondary brand that you like a lot and are working on, you could probably try it in a brick and mortar and see, and see how it goes. Like, you know, Absolutely. uh, you know, you saw like the news about, uh, you know, Mr. Beast kind of backing away from his virtual brand. Well, you know, you have, you still have a great brand. And if you are, you know, if you want to concentrate more on, you know, operating it well, man, why don't you just franchise it and do some brick and mortar franchise locations? That's right. Growing with other people's money, like I said. Um, all right. So uh, as we wrap up, just a reminder to our audience here, please feel free to throw out any questions you have about this stuff or anything at all. We're happy to talk about everything. Um, but I do want to ask about the top 10, just the, these, these brands mm -hmm. at the top. We've touched on a few of them. Uh, Chick-fil-A, uh, in my notes, I wrote C-F-A-W-T-F, um, because that's just kind of my attitude toward Chick-fil-A at all times. How do they keep doing it? Uh, I know how they keep doing it. They're just very excellent at what they do. Yeah. Um, but when you look through the rest of the top 10, I think there's some interesting movement. I think, and if you broaden it out even to the top 20, I think one thing that's interesting is pizza. Um, you know, mm -hmm. Domino's and Pizza Hut have kind of lost some ground. Um, maybe hard to compare to where they were 2020 and 2021, just because they were one of those, um, you know, pandemic categories that was was sort of pandemic proof. Um, mm -hmm. But they've started to, uh, they had uh, negative sales growth, Pizza Hut and um, Domino's both did. Meanwhile, you see Chipotle actually leapfrogged Domino's in the rankings up to the number nine. Yeah. Panera's knocking on the door of the top 10. What do you see in the movement of the the brands there at the top and what should, what kind of um, insights should we pull from all that? 
Well, brands that were pandemic proof are not post pandemic proof, right? <laughs> I think that I think with Domino's, they are they're a very interesting case uh, of how things have changed pretty quickly from depths of the pandemic to this moment that we're in right now. The limiting factor on Domino's, it is, you know, it's not their menu and it's not that they've lost any of their lead in technology. It's it's labor. They are having yep. a very difficult time uh, executing on their, you know, delivery expertise for lack of drivers. Um, you know, and, and so that's why they are pivoting their marketing to uh, focus a lot more on carryout, which which makes a lot of sense. I mean, carryout is a very profitable transaction for their operators. Uh, so that makes perfect sense. I think that the marketing play of giving carryout uh, customers a, a tip, like that that's great marketing. I think that's pretty clever. Um, you know, but I, I think that wh what they're struggling with is going to be, that'll be a headwind, I think, for the whole industry kind of going forward. If we want to get back to unit growth acceleration, great. But units need people to work in them. Uh, you know, and, and so I think that, uh, so so Domino's is a, a, a bit of a harbinger of, you know, what, what could hold the industry back a little bit. Uh, we all want to get back to the races now that, you know, consumers really feel that we are way, way past uh, the COVID pandemic, uh, you know, but in the case of, in the case of Domino's, uh, you know, that their menu revamp from more than 10 years ago now is still positioned, positioned very well. Um, their technology is great. It's just getting the people piece of it right. Um, other, uh, you know, other top 10 brands, I think we should probably talk about the number one brand uh, by sales, which is McDonald's. Um, I guess so. <laughs> yeah, if, if if I may, if I can be a bit of a homer here, um, <laughs> since they're just down the road. So I think McDonald's is an incredible proxy for what is happening kind of in the industry at large. Um, over the past, I would say 12 to 18 months, you know, they have, they've really exercised the pricing power that they have in the post-pandemic economy. You mm -hmm. know, inflation was very, very high and McDonald's was not shy about raising prices to, to meet that moment. Um, and uh, it didn't really hurt traffic. You know, the last three quarters that they've reported, traffic has still been positive. So, um, you know, that to me says that consumers, um, you, you know, consumers can still handle a lot. I mean, we're all under a, a lot of pressure, you know, outside of this job, right? Like we, we see, you know, prices for housing, food, groceries, everything. It's totally out of hand, right? Um, but consumers are still pretty resilient in the face of that. Um, yeah. You know, and, and McDonald's too, like they still, I think uh, they've been smart about new new uh, menu news. Um, and like their marketing is, has gone great. They've done so well with these, uh, you know, celebrity meals. Um, mm -hmm. That was just a, a really smart marketing strategy that, that worked great for them. Um, you know, and, and even, even now, like the, the latest extension of that campaign is with Grimace. Um, and they've got some really wild stuff happening to them in terms of mm -hmm. marketing and they're just kind of letting it ride. Um, I think that's, I think that's smart. Like they're not trying to yeah. stop it. They're not trying to jump on it, uh, you know, in a real like kind of obvious hello, hello kids way. They're just like sort of letting it happen and mm -hmm. it's to their, to their benefit, I think. I've always said that about Taco Bell, right? Which is yeah. Taco Bell knows exactly who they are. Mm -hmm. They will never pretend to be anything other than who they are. And yep. they always seem to 
thrive on that. McDonald's in the past decade is a great example of a brand that had moments of thinking it was something else, flirting with, you know, high quality burgers as it wanted to compete with five guys, you know, flirting with, you know, salads, trying to compete with a maybe Panera. Mm -hmm. And I think they've really realized we are, we're McDonald's. We, people come here for a Big Mac and fries, a quarter pounder and fries. And so, yeah, you're to your point, the marketing is like this recognition that it's like, let's just own this. Let's, let's be playful, irreverent. And that's, clearly benefiting them even if some of the grimace stuff on tiktok has been more negative uh, <laughs> i don't even know how to describe what's going on with the grimace thing right now well, yeah like if someone like, came to a meeting it's like i know let's let's do this with the grimace shake like that guy's getting fired but yeah you know but it's just it's just sort of happening to them and and they're just sort of letting it be like they're they're kind of letting it play out um you know the biggest restaurant brands they controversy happens to them you know, every now and again, I don't know, this, this doesn't quite rise to controversies that have happened, you know, to other big chains. It's just sort of weird. Um, mm -hmm. <laughs> but uh, they're just kind of letting it, letting it fly, which, which I think is, I, you know, and that, and that to me, I think is, is good for the entire industry. Like this industry, even the biggest brands, oldest brands among it are still relevant, relevant with Gen Z, like, you know, who, who saw that coming? Um, but no one's saying no to that, right? Yeah, I mean, it's embracing the chaos of the TikTok generation, I think is a pretty good way to put it. And uh, if you don't do that, you're, you're missing out. Uh, we do have a comment here. It says something, uh, uh, says just like Dollar General or Dollar Tree do well in pre-recession or recession, so will McDonald's. I think mm -hmm. that's another good point about, uh, and that's a value orientation too, right? McDonald's recognizes its value orientation, the convenience we were talking about, mm -hmm. and will we'll continue to thrive on that. Um, I do want to um, get to a question we had earlier in the session, um, but just, just to circle back on it. Uh, is there a guesstimate on how much growth is coming from price increases versus customer accounts? We touched on it just a bit that a lot of it's coming from price increases and inflation, and yeah. we don't have the hard and fast data on customer traffic, but the impression I'm getting is broadly customer traffic is flat across the industry. Um, and then, you know, with some nuance, some companies reporting traffic being slightly up, some reporting it being slightly down, but that's a huge challenge right now is getting customers in the door uh, mm -hmm. It's stubbornly so. Uh, it was not the explosion of customers coming through your door everybody expected in a, a post-pandemic economy. Um, what what other thoughts do you have on that, Mark? On just what we what what needs to happen to get customers to come back? Yeah, I mean, some of that's going to be regional, right? Uh, you know, post post COVID, there have been migrations of people from from some states to others. So, uh, growth areas would be in places like Colorado, Utah, Texas, Florida. Um, you know, even, even parts of California, you know, people are kind of moving out toward, uh, you know, nearby states there too. Um, you know, that's, that's hard to predict. And over time, I think that that will kind of even out. Um, usually I think that the, the new restaurants and new stores will kind of go to meet that demand where it's going. Um, you know, the, the, <clears throat> the person here who made the comment about how McDonald's does well during recessions, that's, that's true, but, I think that a lot of restaurant brands are being smart about not going all the way over into uh, a value focus at the expense of everything else. I think that, right. you know, that's the mistake that broadly the industry made in response to the 2008 recession. Um, and I think that for the most part, a lot of brand leaders have been pretty smart about recognizing this is not exactly the same as that situation. So we shouldn't just, 
you know, pivot fully to, to value. Let's be good at what we're good at. Um, so, you know, how is traffic going to recover over the long term? It's probably going to be uh, this function of getting inflation under control. I'm not anybody's economist, right? Um, I failed stats in college, and here I am with this data job. But right. um, we seem to be threading the needle okay on in terms of uh, coming in for a soft landing. Um, it could obviously change. Um, you know, we have an election coming up. Uh, the war in U Ukraine could change some stuff. But for the most part, inflation is starting to tick down. Um, unemployment has not has not spiked. Uh, housing prices have not gone through the roof. Uh, no pun intended there. Um, so we're sort of, we're sort of kind of coming in for normalizing, uh, you know, prices will probably be higher for a while. Um, we're sort of handling that, uh, you know, consumer spending is up and credit card debt is up, savings is down. Um, you know, but that, that just sort of happens in times like these and it's going to benefit the restaurant industry. It, it would appear consumers can, uh, get pushed on pricing a lot before they push back. We have not seen a huge pushback yet. So, you know, and obviously I think all the brands have that intention. I, I think that we're handling it the right way so far. So we'll, we'll see. And, you know, the, the really important thing here, we've seen sales go up even when unit counts are not going up uh, commensurate with it. So um, that indicates that unit, unit economics are better and good solid unit economics is a really strong base from which to grow. So hopefully in the next couple of years here, we can accelerate unit growth and get back to it. it you know, I, there's reason to be optimistic and I am optimistic, but I'm, I'm one guy with one data set. You know. <laughs> no, it's good stuff. Uh, Mark, I appreciate your insights as always. Uh, reminder to everybody listening, uh, you can check out in the comments there. There's the link to the top 500. Go check that out. You can get the full report, all top 500. You can see more about what we've been talking about today. Also, if you want to have some fun with this, we are having some fun over on our Instagram. We're doing a little bit of trivia th throughout the next couple of weeks. You have a chance to win a $50 Amazon gift card. If you follow us at Nations Restaurant News, and if you answer trivia questions, you will be uh, inserted into a drawing to win a $50 Amazon gift card because we're generous. We like to have fun with it, right? Uh, this is our party trivia. This is some cool trivia, right? Some It's, it's fun data. We got to do something with it. So um, We will buy your attention. That's right. <laughs> All right, Mark Brando, as always, thank you for your time.